Today on the podcast, we have Liz and Melissa from Stone Soup Films. They share stories about how they broke into the documentary filmmaking world. I literally started from the very bottom, very, very bottom, like logging footage in a dark room. They also share some dramatic moments when making their documentary films. I was there the last time some of the kids age out of the program. And when they're 14, for the prison just restricts it. They're like the kids that are like eight to 14. And uh, I was there the last. Some of these guys murdered people, and they'll never get out. And I was there. I literally witnessed the last time those kids would ever be able to physically hug their father. Also, if you've noticed some stellar editing on the last couple episodes, have to give a big shout out to Jonathan Kim for his help in the editing department. So for you two that currently work in the media field what was it in college did you study in college and then how did you potentially break in so melissa we'll start with you the last class i took in undergrad was a like intro to time-based media class and i just became fascinated with video and there were no other classes at my college at the time so i was like guess i'm going to grad school so i applied to emerson and i got in and was in boston for three years studying getting my MFA in media arts. So they had a really big kind of robust program where you could like look into interactive media or documentary or fiction or really any combination of of those. So you really got to feel out kind of what you wanted to do in media, which was really, really cool. And then where did you, where did that take you after, um, after Emerson? Yeah, I mean, at Emerson, it was really great because I was working more on like my professor's gigs than I was like. I've heard that. My yeah. co-students. I don't know. So I ended up filming in a lot of their private, like personal documentaries. And then coming out of that, I was just like, I know this is something I want to do. But like how if you're not like a total freelance, like I am a a documentary producer like what is the job market really for documentary like I had no clue so everyone's like aren't you moving to LA and I was like no actually I'm gonna try DC and everyone thought I was crazy but <laughs> I was confident that there were a lot of nonprofits down here that pro and I always wanted to like work in the nonprofit field as well and I was confident that there were a lot of people down here that probably needed my skill set so I came down here Got a couple of really weird internships, got a couple of jobs, and then started volunteering with Stone Soup Films. And then I found out, like, you actually could have a job doing documentary that's, like, full-time, which I never thought really would happen. <laughs> cool. Awesome. So, Liz, what about you? Did you study communications journalism in college? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I, I knew I was going to be an attorney. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, I really wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know what it was like a fever dream. And then I ended up working at the public defender for as a criminal investigator for six did, months. So did you go to law school? I didn't. I took the LSATs, although they expire after five years and I had a blowout LSAT expiration party. I'm sorry you missed it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I really wanted I was very interested in political science and public policy and research and that was really my that was really my thing so once I decided not to go to law school I ended up working um, for common cause which was this you know think tank type organization about the intersection of money and politics so I learned I really came at this all of this from the research side and uh, it's interesting because a lot of people think that you need the skills uh, first and I think in my case and this is just was just true for me 
is um, because of my career, which I built and I ended up uh, working in the first three years of the Clinton White House in the communications office based on my research uh, skills. So I worked as a researcher in the communications office Um, and I worked on crime and drug policy and all of that came into fruition in which I just I kept seeing things visually. But every time we were trying to like get a uh, assault weapons ban passed, I was kept thinking like, who are the people? I just was like hungry for like the faces and the stories of the people whose lives would be changed by that legislation. And that really drove me. And I realized I'm kind of I'm in the wrong job. So I moved to New York. And I literally started from the very bottom, very, very bottom, like logging footage in a dark room, and just trying to learn the language of the visual part of it um, because I had the substance part of it already. I already knew sort of like what I wanted to say. I just I just was very hungry and anxious to get the tool. So I did it that way. Um, and I did take a film, you know, I took a film class and my first short, uh, you know, Academy Award nominated, <laughs> not, uh, you know, was about a woman in Chinatown who sold these hotcakes. Um, 15, it was called Still 15 for a dollar. I had no idea what I was doing. But I just was like, you just got to make stuff, figure out where your aptitude is. You know, if you know what you want to say, that's a that's a huge part of the battle. So, Melissa, when you came to D.C., did you do any peer work or did you just jump right on the, the stone soup train? Um, <laughs> the stone soup train. <laughs> oh, good train. Um, I, w- I started as a... Uh, I think it was a communications intern at a place in Alexandria and I was I worked there for like a month and they found out I knew After Effects so then I started I got to like work there for like eight months so that was kind of cool but yeah it was kind of a random mix of PA work and just trying to figure out what the scene was in DC because like I worked at this I mean the production house I worked for did a lot of stuff outside of D.C. And when I applied there, I'm like, I can't wait to get to know the D.C. scene. And they were like, cool. And then all of our shoots were in Pennsylvania. So I was just like, huh, I have no clue still what's going on in D.C. So I guess I need to get out of Alexandria. But yeah, I mean, and I found Stone Soup just like, I'd say, about a year after I moved here because I was just Googling like, documentary like I was just trying to find some kind of collaborative in the area or like literally just wedge my way in somewhere because it is really hard when you move to a new area and you don't have that network from from grad school or from any school like you kind of like get you graduate and you get tossed out of this really cool creative incubator and then you're just like oh yeah, I don't always know, like, the audio guy, and I don't always... But then you have to just go find those guys. They exist in every city. You just kind of have to go find them. So, Liz, you were saying that you started from the bottom in New York City, kind of vlogging footage, maybe PA work. What what kind of... How, how did that progress, and, and where did that take you? Uh, I was kind of lucky because I never... <sighs> I had a lot of like hubris, you know, I was like, I should be an associate producer. I had no, I had no idea like what that meant, <laughs> but it seemed like, you know, the right thing because I was like, I could do, you know. Um, so I think, um, I think more than anything, and I'm sure Melissa is, you know, so talented in so many ways and I'm sure that any, you know, any place that she interned, they would like exploit it. So that was actually kind of smart. And I think this is the smart move is just get, get in the door any way you can and don't be afraid to do really baseline things you know like I, I really believe that a huge part of 
how I got more work and jobs and increasing promotions and increasing responsibilities. I was willing to do anything, anything. Like if you if you tell me to make on your face. Yes. If you tell me to sit (laughs) in this room for three weeks and make B-roll selects, I will make the best B-roll selects you've ever seen. I don't you, you have to just abandon your pride. And this this industry, and I think maybe this is true of all, but this is the only one that I really know is very much meritocracy based. If you are a hard worker and you show interest in the most mundane tasks that you're asked, you will get more work through it. And that's who everybody wants to work with. You know, um, I mean, Stone Soup in particular is very much, you know, a team. Uh, all of our stuff is extremely Can you talk a little bit about Stone Soup and just kind of tell people who never heard of it what it is? How could you never have heard of it? No. <laughs> um, so, you know, we started in 2008. Um, and when I say we, it may have just been me in a 150-square-foot room. And when we had a meeting, the editing had to stop. Um, so the idea was really that uh, there would be people um, in this industry who wanted to do service work in their skill set um, to try to even come close to meeting the need in the nonprofit community for messaging and communications and sort of strategic um, marketing of what you're doing. And I wanted to make it easy for funders or volunteers or anybody else to be like, wow, I really care about youth development. Uh, And I had no idea there was this poetry and meditation and, you know, arts program after school going on. And this, I, I really connect with that. So I just felt like, so many of these organizations were in- invisible and then they didn't and then they were and then you match that with the inability to pay for this increasingly expensive tool so i was like well maybe i can make something up in which people like me and other people and if we all put in something together um, we could produce and donate professional quality short strategic documentaries um, to help nonprofits with whatever they needed tell their story or get get more kids to know about their program or recruit teachers or whatever it is. Each organization has a different issue, different need. So we produce and donate these films to nonprofits that can't afford it. I'm curious to know if if you could talk about, because you, you kind of came in after you had already, Liz had already established the organization. Can you talk about how you saw it grow just in broad strokes? Yeah. I mean, um, I started as a volunteer, I think in 2013. Yeah, that was a few years ago now. Wow. And I was like at the time working for the business school at Georgetown and I was just like, I need a creative outlet. So I finally like I would think I was on the list for, you know, close to a year before, you know, something a shoot like fit in with my nine to five job. But I was like, that is so mine. Like and I responded to the production schedule and I ran down there and I was really excited. And it was the same day your fifth anniversary party was going on across town. So I didn't get to meet everyone over there. But I was on a shoot entirely alone and I had no clue how it fit into anything. And I was just like, I hope I'm doing a good job. And I realized like, hey, that was a really fun volunteer experience. But then I was like, I really want to know how like this shoot fits into the larger thing. So like I emailed Emmett, who worked for us at the time, and I was like, hey, um, I'd like to, you know, come in and, like, give you my footage, but I'd also like to kind of talk about how, the, how all of this comes together. And just by, like, wedging myself in there that one day, I think I, like, rode a bike down on my lunch hour and just talked to you guys. I was like, whoa, like, there's so much, like, I could do to, like, help this place become better. And I know that sounds really weird, but, like, I think when I filled out my volunteer form, I was like, your website, 
I could help with that. <laughs> and <laughs> and like I could see all the needed a lot of help because I worked in like the web department at Georgetown. So I was like, man, I could really help them in a lot of ways. And I know that there's so many people that kind of come to us in that way where they're like, hey, look at this great stuff you're doing. Let me help you do even better at it. And that's just constantly inspiring because now like I receive the volunteer forms and I get to see the people that are like, hey, I'm I'm like a total pro producer at Nat Geo or like I'm a total beginner. What can you do for me? And it's kind of like finding the place to kind of interact with all those people and to help them help us, but also to help them like learn. It's it's a really but also like we made one film the first year and last year we made 23. So and the first year we had maybe, I don't know, eight to ten volunteers, one of whom was mentally unstable. Uh, And then uh, now this year, I don't know how many do you send out a production schedule to, Melissa? Our production schedule goes out. I sent one out the other day to 557 people. So, I mean, not all of those are active volunteers, but we definitely see like any combination of those throughout the year. Like maybe we'll see like. 150 and those are the ones that like they might come on one shoot they might come on shoots monthly but differing levels of engagement but like that many people we very rarely have unsubscribers because I think there's a lot of people that were like me that are just like watching the production schedule for something that would overlap with their it's interesting Liz because we were talking about this before we started recording about how people might have an itch to produce something that that is a little bit more meaningful, especially if somebody in their day job is not is doing a menial type of task or not necessarily involved in production or creative field or the creative field. So what what do you think that is? It's it's staggering that 550 people receive your emails and are respond and come out and volunteer to produce. What is it I think that that you can point to that says that this is, you know, this is a thing. That What's happens. the magic mojo? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's such a good question because, uh, first of all, it's really moving. Like, it just kind of makes you feel really hopeful about people's desire to help and do good work and, and in this particular field. But I think there's a lot of it that, and I don't think that this is like the dark side of it at all. I think a lot of it is that the craving for community and that we're kind of a quirky bunch, you know? Like, I, I don't know anyone else who wants to talk about lenses for half an hour or 45 minutes. Like, I, I do. Um, so, you know, there's something about that that's sort of like other people who share your weirdness uh, is a big – and people really love the community building. Another thing is that, you know, if you're trying to break in, let's say you're trying to figure out uh, – you, you, you're interested in audio, but you don't know much about it. But this is a low-pressure way to maybe work with a producer you've never worked before and then exercise those audio skills and try to figure out how to expand, use different equipment you may not have used. You know, we, we, we have all of our own equipment. Um, and it's in, a, it's in a kind of nurturing way. And I think that's also really attractive to people. And then the third thing is, is like, you know, this is a – a, a very rare section of the industry in which you really get to say what you want to say. You get to, you know, the people who, the many volunteer producers we have, which is the biggest lift of our volunteer you know, group, they literally get to tell the story the way that they want. Um, and they don't have to please the client. We don't show the films to the nonprofit until they're practically finished. I think this is a difficult, that's the difficult part of this industry is you're working for clients, you're doing industrials, you're doing corporate videos, whatever, you've got to do basically what they say. And this is, at the end of the day, it's a creative endeavor. 
You know, people want, it's not like you say to an artist, make this painting. I want you to use red, blue, and purple. And I want it to be a rectangle and I want it to be three by four feet. That's a little bit discouraging and soul crushing, you know, for somebody who wants to do that. So I actually think that's a big part of why people really love to do it. They go on a shoot and they can shoot whatever they want, whatever they think is best going to serve the story. And that's just liberating. Can you talk a little bit about the, um, how you engage with the film community? So bringing people in, or maybe a better question is, if somebody's interested in listening to this and wants to get involved, what are the ways in which they can get involved and how do you how do you bring them in? Uh, well, the first, uh, you know, entry is just to go on our website and fill out a volunteer form. You'll see it's pretty self-explanatory about it. We're, we're, ba- we're basically going to figure out how do we exploit like what you're good at. <laughs> you know, we'll ask you about your skills. You rank yourself. Uh, be honest. Um, because but guess what? Like we'll know pretty much if you say I'm a 10 shooter and then you show us your, you know, I should do it for the other way. Like if you say you're a three shooter and then you send us something really gorgeous, we're like, you're not a three shooter. You're really more like a seven. Um, so uh, you rank yourself. And then Melissa has this amazing sort of, you know, ability to kind of, you know, it's like knitting a quilt, right? We're trying to put in all the different skill sets together to make sure that they come out to best serve the organization. Um, so you fill out the form and then you get, um, you become a member of the listserv that gets the production schedule. But also there's other things we do. Rough cut screenings. We have, you know, happy hours for networking. We we have volunteer orientations yeah. that kind of, you know, started, I think, last year. But it gave a good opportunity to get, like, both seasoned volunteers, producers, and, like, people that maybe filled out the form yesterday, like, all in the same room together to kind of go, like, this is what we're currently working on and, like, try to, you know – get everyone together and go like, hey, this is what we're doing. And if you're interested in any of this, please keep an eye out. Because one of my main goals right now is really building team environments around these projects. Because if you're personally invested in one of them, like, and you have the ability to kind of like ride it through the whole thing. I mean, our whole model is like, we take a lot of like up to 10 different shoots different crews every single time and put all that together into like something that looks really cohesive but if there's one person that's kind of like I'm almost the DP the entire time like the visual cohesion you just can't beat it so we've had a couple of very rare projects that from start to finish have had like the same dedicated crew and that's always really cool to see but it's also just as satisfying to see like We have this one really huge project going on right now for the last two years, City Bridge. It's kind of like an outlier. It's a uh, it's a feature. (laughs) So we shoot shorts and we made a feature. That's (laughs) that's always a good idea. But that's had over like 60 volunteers touch it from like over the last two years. And I mean, media management is a bit of a nightmare at that point, but it's really like just awesome to see that many people dedicated to a thing from start to finish. So when I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, this guy's color was way off. I'm like, but that's acceptable. We're working with volunteers. So I kind of like that it's not as cool. The world's first totally collaborative documentary. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, I think Melissa's point is well taken, which is that wherever you're want to dip in you know let's say you're great at social media we need that too you know let's say you are really interested in doing um getting to know a camera better uh you could be b camera or be a pa or assist a more experienced shooter and really learn on the job um but let's say you 
you know, you're interested in knowing more about the business or about the nonprofit management, you know, you can come in and do that. Or let's say you're interested, you know, you can transcribe interviews if you're a really fast typist and you could, that's a critical skill that we need. We, we type up every interview. Well, I think too, I just, just was talking to Jim Block who helped design this room and he was saying, you know, he's, he was, you know, pretty, pretty much a veteran in the industry, really works with the Washington Post, all these, you know, really good clients. And he said it was kind of a perfect timing that he met us because of he was just looking for an outlet in his career. And he said, you know, I have a studio in my house. I'm by myself all the time. And that's another thing, too, is that the ability to collaborate and this is what attracts me too. And this, this is why people come to Arlington independent media as well is because they're stuck in maybe just a silo and they, they want to, to be able to interact, even if it's not their project, they want to be able to collaborate. Yeah, Yesterday we had a rough cut screening for a piece that we're doing for Charlie's place, which is an amazing, um, they serve six hot breakfasts a week to the homeless community, really wonderful organization, DuPont Circle. And we had like a dozen people there. You know, some of them are not even in the, in, in the industry per se, but they can watch a piece and say, you know what, I don't, that woman was really annoying. You know, I don't want to see her or I would really like, do you have anything else that shows me this and this and this? It was, you know, it's amazing. And that's better than any film school. You know, you learn on the fly sort of what are the... And then you realize all the different layers that go into making something like this. And even for there's it's feels great to help out and make something for a nonprofit. But there's also networking opportunities that you could maybe work with a seasoned producer that maybe you'll go off and PA for them later on down the road. Oh, oh dude, we've done so much matchmaking. Like, yeah. So that's our, that's really cool, too. Yeah. I mean, our we had an intern last semester that started working for one of our producers after she like went on a shoot with her and she just she was like wow who is that girl she had a really great attitude and now she's like their production coordinator it's it's so crazy because we have that here at aim too where people will go off they'll be tangentially related to here they've worked they've done productions here and then i'll hear a year later that oh yeah we we worked on 10 projects outside of here and we call it the fellowship of the producers at aim and i'm like fellowship I've never even heard of that, but it's this whole network that that is part of here, but it's also out there. Yeah, we had a really great piece. The Washington Post did a piece on us, I don't remember, like two years ago in the capital business section. I was like, what are we doing in the business section? Turns out it was all about people volunteering here with us getting paid jobs after they left because of the networking that they did. And I love that. What an awesome article for us. Plus, you know, we work very closely with the Office of Motion Picture and Television Development in Washington, and they're very interested in workforce development here. And they are extremely annoyed that shows like Veep and House of Cards come in here and they, they hire everybody from the outside outside of Washington. So we can help with that. You know, we can help with that. All Everybody sort of pulling all together can help develop the production workforce here. Last couple questions. I'm curious to know, looking back on on the year, you said you did 23 films last year. Um, is there one project for each of you that kind of sticks out that, you know, you, you put 100% into every project, but there was maybe that one project that really was, you know, if I just squeeze a little bit more out of this, some put some more blood, sweat, and tears into it. Is there any project that sticks out? Well, it's like choosing between your children, but... Uh... I hope my kids aren't listening. But um, so I would say I've had some moments where um, I've thought to myself, this is this is a total professional high. Like I, I I've been so overcome. Um, and one of them was when I was filming. Um, I was directing a piece uh, in a maximum security prison for Hope House, which is an organization that 
connects children with their incarcerated fathers. You know, we were inside the prison. We were with these guys. This is the only one week a year these kids are allowed to play and roughhouse and hug their dads. The dads aren't dead. You know, they're they're in prison. So what is what is salvageable in that relationship and what was valuable? And I was there. Um, it was really tricky. And the warden was all over us. Like, you can't show that. You can't show that. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. I was completely just pushing the edge of, you know, what was acceptable. And I just was determined not to let the warden restrict because I thought this is the most amazing thing. How many people are going to be able to get inside this room and see this, the magic of this relationship and the value of this program? I just felt this incredible sort of elation and obligation at the same time um, to, to do it justice. And it was a little, I'll never forget it. I mean, I, I, I sobbed like the whole way home. It was so moving to me. And um, I was there the last time some of the kids age out of the program. And when they're 14 for the prison just restricts it. They're like the kids are like eight to 14. And uh, I was there the last some of these guys murdered people and they'll never get out. And I was there. I literally witnessed the last time those kids would ever be able to physically hug their father for a couple of kids. It was like it just slayed me. And I thought this is our the amazing thing about Stone Soup is that we can come in here and we can show people what this is like. Um, and that was definitely, I would say, that was just a big, big old high for me. Wow. Melissa? Um, the topic that, that we dealt with that really kind of slayed me the most was the Mid-Atlantic Innocence Project. So, like, Innocence Projects in general have been getting, like, a lot of hype in, you know, serial, a lot of hype in the media lately, and rightly so. Like, they just work their butts off for, like, this obscure, you know, almost reverse law that they have to practice to get people out of jail. But, like, the people at the Mid-Atlantic Innocence Project, like Sean and Don and all these people, they have, like, such a small staff, and they're able to go in and get, like... And such a small budget, and they're able to go in and get, like, just as many exonerations as, like, the New York one. And they're just doing, in this area, such amazing things. And two of the guys that we interviewed had been in jail my entire life. So just looking at these guys and realizing, like, every every memory that I've ever had, like, the last 29 years these guys have been in prison for one of them they knew like a couple of decades ago that he was totally innocent and somebody else was guilty but it just took so long to get him out and it was just like it that one was the most powerful for me but great well thanks for sharing the stories is there any final thoughts or final advice that you have for anybody that's looking to get into the media field this is something you have to be really passionate about. But if you are, you can actually make a living doing this. There's a lot of opportunities and a lot of ways to dip into it. But you really have to want it hard and not because of not for the reasons of like wanting to you know, just learn the camera or something. Although if that's your skill, that's really cool and that's really valuable. Um, but it takes some tenacity. It really does. And um, and you need to have a, a, some, a good support system of people around you who really believe in your creative endeavors. So Cool. Well, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Media on the Radio is recorded at Arlington Independent Media. For more information, visit arlingtonmedia.org. Please subscribe on iTunes to Media on the Radio, where each week it'll send the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you. It's so easy. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening.